Like Taryn said, my name is Steve. I'm uh, one of the pastors who gets to help out here at Fusion. Uh, it's weird to think I've been here almost nine Advents now. Maybe ten if I used to be a math major, but I'm not any now, so I'm, I don't know. I don't know if that still works. But uh, when I think about that, when I think about the first Sunday of Advent happening that many times in my life here, it's kind of overwhelming, right? Like that song lyric earlier today, when you think about all this stuff, this Christmas season, the Advent season, something about it triggers memories, right? Maybe it's a smell. Maybe it's a taste. Maybe it's, uh, why are there no presents under the tree yet? They're hiding them somewhere in the house. When are mom and dad going to leave so I can go find them, open them, and retape them? Am I the only one who did that? Hopefully mom's not watching online. So yeah, that's, that's something that does happen this time of year. So we're kicking off this new season of Advent with that reality firmly in our minds. That there is something special about the songs, the poetry, the majesty of this season that teaches us something very important about who God is and who we are. What is God's love? What is God's joy? What is God's peace? And today, we'll be focusing on what is God's hope. So heaven and nature sing is kind of, the, is that still the tagline, right? Is that what slides are going to say? All right. So what I'm positing today is an invitation to consider if heaven and nature actually do sing like we believe they were created to sing, what does that mean for us? Okay? So we're going to start that with, as this slide is about to say, a moderately cheesy guessing game to stall for time during the message. All right, so here's the game. Brady, throw it up there. You ready? You're going to finish... The sentence for me, okay? Nope. One in between those two. Is there one more in there? It was the cheesiest slide I had. How did that go away? It literally said fill in the blank, a time-filling Steve game. Adam must have thought I was kidding. All right, here's the deal. I'm going to say some words, and you finish the phrase for me, all right? If you struggle at this, we'll just keep doing it till you get it, so concentrate. Rudolph the Red-Nosed. Thank you, Audrey. Not to be confused with Grandma Got Ran Over by a... It's a little bit older, kids, if you hadn't heard that one yet. Elmo and Patsy, it's a classic. And I'm proud to be an... Not to be confused with, it's a party in the... Okay, very good. I've got friends in... Ooh, we got some Garthers here, all right. Not to be confused with take this job and, okay, we're in charge. Guys, people, people, fusion, we're better than this. All right. There's a bathroom on the right. Nice. Hold me closer. There it is. So what? What? We derailed exactly at 10.24 a.m. on December 6th. So those last two were intentional, right? What did I do there? You got the first six right, and you also got the last two right, eventually, right? The last two were what? 
some of the most commonly misheard and misrepresented song lyrics, right? It is not Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza, no matter what Tony wants to tell you, okay? I believe it's Tiny Dancer, but I don't have my phone up, so I'm not convinced, all right? There's not a bathroom on the right. Well, there is technically, but there's a bad moon on the rise, correct? Right? Is that what it is? Okay. But every year, the list of misunderstood lyrics grows and grows and grows. We have memes and reels and takis, or what are they called? Tickies? And those misrepresented lyrics get repeated and repeated and repeated until... It's all we freaking can hear in our heads, right? You ever have that happen? You're in a place, there's a song in your head, and you don't want it to be there. It's not correct. The information's not even accurate. You don't love it at all. It won't go away. So there's a reason for this. There's a reason we're talking about poetry and song and why we're giving it all of our Advent season. First and foremost, poetry and song are important to God. And we know this how? 33% of our scripture is poems or songs. 33%. That's almost a third. Math joke. Oh my goodness. We're not there today. You know, one of the things we lose by doing our Bible app, it has access to all of our scripture wherever we go, so it's great for that, but we lose perspective sometime, right? You look at a verse on this screen and you kind of don't get the scope for where it fits or how it fits into the grand story. So if you think of a Bible as a book, this much of it would be poems and songs. Okay? So we don't really have to ask the question, do these things matter to how God wants to communicate to God's people? Because it already is there. The book of Psalms, the book of Lamentations... The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, it's completely those. And then most of the narratives, the dialogues, when Jesus is talking to people or trying to teach people, he's actually referring back to these psalms, these poems, these prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah, which in those days, they didn't read or write very much. How did the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel and all these things we find in our scriptures how did people learn them? Through song or rhythmic poem or remembering, right? Poetry and song are important because they, they give us a very old, a very trustworthy story of not only who God is, but how God's people have sought to understand how they've reached out to God, how they've tried to interpret the world around them. One of the commentaries I was reading, the author talks about the Old Testament is in these five books of poetry. He says they reveal the very heart of men and women who are struggling with monumental issues such as suffering, sin, forgiveness, joy, worship, passionate love. I don't know if you're going to get a top 10 playlist of the things we think about day in and day out, but aren't it, isn't it those things? These items are already at the top of our daily playlist 
of our heartbeat, our rhythm, what consumes our thoughts and our energies. They did then, too. Thousands and thousands of years ago, God was speaking through poetry and song to release and help people understand where God was in the midst of that list. The other thing it's important to note, standing where we stand on the edge of 2023 into 2024, we have a lot more access to brainwave scans than they did during the Psalms and David's day, right? We have an understanding to a certain extent of how we, even as humans, were created to function. And what's interesting about poetry and song compared to reading uh, just text or narrative or a resource book or a textbook, poetry and song don't just hit our part of the brain that deals with words. They light up every part. When you listen to a song or a song is forced upon you during nonstop 24-7 Christmas radio at your workplace, which I heard about yesterday, right? That song literally triggers pretty much every lobe in your brain. It gets everything firing. A song fires your visual cortex. It makes you see things. How is that possible if we weren't created to understand God and the world around us through song? And poetry is the same way in a sneakier way because poetry is rhythmic. So there's something about literally the heartbeat that we were created to respond with and to be attuned into, right? The other part of that, what happens when our brains are firing on all cylinders? When every part of our brain gets excited about something? It etches the memory of that moment infinitely deeper. So when I hear Grandma got run over by a reindeer, it's not just a catchy song. I remember the record I heard it on. I remember the room I was in when I snuck away to play it, even though my mom said it's not a great idea, your uncles are crazy. Okay? I remember the smell of the cookies in the room. I remember my grandma giving me that kind of look that said I'm not appreciative of the lyrics and the insinuation of this event. And I said, take your medication. You won't wander out in the, Right? There's... Should have opened my present first. But the, the reality is, the reason all of that is still here today, four decades later, right, is because that's what songs do. They have that much power. Poetry has that much power. So let's not use it lightly. One of the things I've recently gotten into was I don't have a lot of free time, so I figured let's focus on watching three-hour-long movies. So uh, some friends of mine got into the, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy again. Have you, how many of you have seen this, or how much do I have to start from scratch? All right. Lord of the Rings, really long book, really long movies, really awesome story. And it's an allegory. It's a, it's a re-understanding of the world from creation to deliverance. The Bible is behind the scenes through all of it. But I'd never read the books before. And so I dug into these, and I mean, you talk about the Bible being a big book. This is like an even bigger one. 
And all along the way, I kept stumbling into these little cutout sections where the print was smaller. So, you know, I'm getting to that age where that's not cool anymore. And it was kind of indented and it looked special and had a different font. And I'm like, what is this? And you see it a little bit in the movies, but in the writing, Tolkien took and he created poems and old, old songs. And they're scattered all throughout the books, usually at a point when the characters need to make an important choice. When they're faced with a decision they don't know how to make, a fork in the road they don't know where to take, the author usually puts in a poem or a song. And after the sharing of that song or that poem, the characters know where to go. And as I was reading these, I was getting really frustrated because I didn't understand the stinking word in there. Story, I had it down. When the poem came up, it was names I didn't know, places I had never, never heard of, and situations I was not familiar with. So good for the characters that that gave them all the information they need, but I was lost. Because those were not poems and songs that I had sung. Right? But if you read the Cimmerillion or the earlier books, they make sense. When Tolkien was asked why he added these poems and these songs into the story, he said he didn't have a choice. When he was writing the story, the poems and songs came too. They were the oldest truths, he said. The foundation for any meaning-making, the current events that the characters were going to face, would have any ability to be made. Any context they could have came from these songs. In the movies, they adapt this quote a little bit from what's actually written, but I want to show you this. This is Sam, one of the, the main hobbits. They're on this quest that's probably going to end in death, and they're very scared. They don't know where to go next. They have the courage to do so, and Sam says this. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass, a new day will come. When the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. They meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. As we dig into Scripture now for a little bit, I want to argue that thing we're holding on to and that they were holding on to and that we can hold on to is hope. Hope in something that's going to shine through our darkness. Hope in something that's going to bring life again to that which is lost. A hope we already know has happened and a hope we know will come again. Psalm 33 is the scripture I want to share and it's going to be a little bit small on your screens, but if you want to pull it up on your Bible app, that would be a great thing to do in this moment. 
Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him with a ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The, Lord is, the earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host and the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear and respect the Lord. Let the people of the world revere him, worship him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. I love this verse. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. As a planner, that one stings directly into the song of my heart. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. So as we think about these words, right? This reminds me of Tony Danza. I feel like I've sung this song, but that's not how I ended all the phrases. Does that make sense? You ever get that feeling? Because I know I've sung the song about the mightier I am, the more I can achieve, right? But I'll be darned, I don't think that's what was sung in the original lyrics. I know that part that said, if I just surround myself with enough security and protection, everything I desire will be at my disposal. But when I reread the original lyrics... Tony Dan's is jumping all over the place, right? There's a lead the way Colette in there. The bathroom's on the right. Everything's just not quite as the old faithful true song actually is. So we're in an invitation point again today as we wrap up here. We at Fusion invite you to check the original lyrics again this Advent. We're going to go back to the Psalms. The oldest, truest story we have about who God is, who we are, and how it all goes together. What this world is and what it will be. And we don't just do this because it's Christmas and singing happens at Christmas and it's good. No, we do this because Jesus did it. Some basic statistics, there's over 20 instances of Jesus answering someone else's question in the Bible with a quote of the Psalms. From his birth, his first words, his life, his teaching, his last words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was a psalm. 
throughout his life, his ministry, to the point of the worst pain he could withstand. His heartbeat was the song of God. And not one that he had just started up from scratch. It was one that had been sung for generation upon generation. Those are the songs that we need to remember this Advent season. Even Acts chapter 2, the start of the church, the story of how people started getting convinced that Christ had risen again and that we were called to follow him. Peter and the disciples, they had this amazing experience and people are standing around them and accusing them of being drunk, right? Best verse in the whole Bible, right? These men are clearly intoxicated. Do we, you know, you can tell what they're thinking. Do we kill them? Imprison them or just walk away before they harm us, right? They're useless. Peter's response to that isn't, you listen to me, I know. What he does is he sings two psalms back to them. Songs and psalms they would have known. His argument didn't convince them, their might didn't convince them. The song of God's heart sung through them and the church was born. So as we close today, I want to end with the the statement that there is a hope, and it has a name. We could put this slide up, Brady, if you have it. the, uh, The thing I want us to remember and take away from today, beyond Tony Danza, is that these old poems and songs of our heart matter. The old poems, the songs of Scripture, they're vitally important to us, to every day we live. Why? Because that's what keeps me from going all in on a weak story, a false lyric. The old poems, the old songs from Scripture, they're going to remind us Don't settle for empty promises. Settle for God's promises. One of the great things about fusion, one of the things I think that keeps us alive and and in God's spirit is we have music every Sunday, right? We send out the playlists every week through our app. We have connections to the songs. And we don't choose the songs lightly. You know, we read every lyric. We look for what God is speaking through the words and through the music. What's beautiful about today in particular is every new song we're going to sing, and there's going to be a new one at the end, is really a very old song. With a guitar and drums and some fancy dancing by me added in, right? Crystal might dance a little bit. We might get there. But it's not something brand new. We're just making up. Every Sunday we remember the oldest stories in the book. And how they're still true. Our next song coming up, we're going to specifically answer the question, how do we wait? In the season of Advent, when everything's dark outside, everybody's getting tense and chippy because they're all overextended, how do we wait for a better story? How do we wait for a true promise when everything's flashing at us? 
It's what we're going to sing about next. How do we wait in the hope of God? And as we close, we're going to answer the question, and while we're waiting, who exactly are we waiting for? Is it some white knight who's going to come save me and make my life better? Is it some present that's going to deliver me? Is it some magical moment or trip that's going to deliver us? Or is it simply Jesus, Emmanuel? The oldest song in the book, a reminder that God was always with us. God has been always with us. God is always with us, and God will be, literally. That's what Emmanuel means. God is with us always. I'm going to invite the band forward at this time as we prepare our hearts and minds for that. And I want to end with this. And I know I said I were going to end four times already, but it's not part of the song, so it doesn't matter. So if heaven and nature were created to sing, and we're a part of that, we invite you to spend some intentional time in the coming weeks. Spend some time in the mystery and power of poetry, of song, this Advent season. Take note. What songs won't leave your head? And what story are they telling? Is it weak? Is it true? Is it strong? What playlist then? Because every song we listen to comes out of us, right? That's how heartbeats work. What playlist are you offering your friends and family through your life in the coming weeks? Would they see Jesus through the rhythm and lyrics of your life? Or is it a hot mess of a garage band situation and you might want to reach out to us for some help? Either way, it's going to be okay. We can wait together. And that God who has always been with us in the name of Jesus Christ will still be there. And that's why we sing. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, as we close our worship today, as we sing these songs and remember these words that we might have long since forgotten or misremembered, may these words hold true, not just to us, but through us into the world you call us into right from this moment. As we collect these tithes and offerings, a chance for us to live back into the world that has given so much to us. As we sing these songs and take these words to heart, may it all be yours. May our giving be yours, may our receiving be yours, and may our hope be yours in Jesus' name. Amen.